Hello and welcome to The Buzz, Bank Automation News Podcast. My name is Henrik Nilsson and I'm a Senior Associate Editor for Bank Automation News. In this conversation, you will hear from Vijay Sandi, CEO of NMI. He discussed banks' relationship with fintechs and what banks can do to stay competitive and innovative. Uh, human beings, we like to think in binary terms, like, you know, enemy or friend. Um, and we like to think in kind of black and white binary one or zero. Um, and I actually believe that this whole area of fintech is a massive gray zone. It is a massive frenemy uh, kind of world. And um, we, however, your question is very uh, well taken because there is now competition. But um, I want to go back to the roots of how we got here. So, you know, the fintechs or, you know, some of these uh, newer uh, companies that entered the financial services, they were focused on the consumer experience. That's where they started. They were not trying to fix the plumbing, make things faster, better, cheaper. They just wanted to have a great consumer experience. So people like Square came along in in our market, uh, you know, for restaurants. And they said, hey, it's really easy. You got this simple system. You turn it on. Uh, you can take payments. The pricing is 2.9% and 30 cents. One price, all blended, not complicated interchange rates. Um, and, and it was really easy to use, cloud-based, et cetera, et cetera. Stripe came along and said, hey, you can connect to uh, the payment networks with one API call and one pricing. But in the back end, there was Wells Fargo and JP Morgan and First Data and all of the existing infrastructure. And so this was a layer on top. So that was phase one, right? They worked together. In fact, the fintechs could never have started without working with the incumbents. So phase one, we got it, right? It's they're working together. And even though the press, uh, you know, often like to say, oh, you know, they're, they're competition and they're enemies. They're not. They're actually working together. The stripes and the squares never would have started if the first data in Wells Fargo hadn't worked with them at the time I was at Visa. You know, we made sure we worked with them because we liked these innovations. Um, now, phase two is uh, these fintechs start to grow. And I'll give the example of, you know, the folks that are, um, you know, in that restaurant point of sales world, just because it's an easy example, but there are many others. Um, so you've got uh, a restaurant, maybe it's, uh, you know, Joe's Coffee Shop. And the person that gave the point of sale shows up and says, you know, I know quite a bit about Joe's Coffee Shop. I know how much money they make because I process their payments. I know that Wednesday is busy and Thursday is dead. And I know exactly what their cash flow is. Maybe they might need a loan and I might be able to come up with a really good uh, credit risk profile because I am actually their payment backbone. And so they showed up and they said, we're going to start a capital arm. And they went into the Joe's coffee shop and say, hey, you're already pre-approved for a loan of, you know, however much money. Oh, by the way, I'm going to deduct amortization and interest cost before I settle with you. So they have no settlement risk uh, and they have a really good pulse on the business. Now, if that guy at Joe's Coffee Shop went to a large bank, uh, they might have to go to a loan officer and fill out arduous you know, forms and give personal guarantees and three years of tax returns. And just think of how different that is. Now you fast forward and now you start to look at a Trojan horse strategy, right? This horse comes in. Oh, those nice people in the other valley have sent it. We go to sleep and we wake up and they come out of the horse and they take over. Now, what is the third phase? Many of these fintechs have they themselves become bank holding companies. They have become processors. That means that they actually connect directly to Visa and MasterCard, people like the Adians in Europe or, as I mentioned, the Stripes in the U.S. Um, and so now you're into the rift and the frenemy 
is now becoming more enemy. So that's where we are today. Can you talk a little bit from a bank's perspective? What are some major obstacles to staying competitive against fintechs, you know, given that banks are under pretty high level of regulatory scrutiny and, you know, they have these massive legacy systems to take into account. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I don't want to characterize it as that it's become a, an enemy from a frenemy. It is still very much a cooperative marketplace. It's just that the battle lines are starting to be drawn more so now in this what I would call phase three of the evolution. So um, what should the banks do? What are the obstacles to being competitive? The first thing the banks have to do is I believe that many banks, their number one master is usually the regulators. Then it's the cost structure. And the last is the consumer experience. And they need to flip that paradigm upside down because the modern consumer has been working with iPhones for 15 years, regardless of what their age is. We hear about Gen Z and millennials, but it doesn't matter what your age is. You expect an instant experience everywhere you go, whether it's getting into an Uber and not looking at payment credentials and fumbling with cash or cards or buying something on Amazon one click. Uh, you know, or paying with Apple Pay. So the banks should flip their paradigm. They should lead with consumer experience. They should Im- they should um, embrace things like design thinking, you know, which is putting your sh- yourself in the shoes of the customer. How easy is it to open a bank account? How hard is it? That doesn't mean the other two masters go away. Just flip the priority. Now, the issue with that is many of the banks don't have the technology prowess or even the people to think like this and and do things like run um, a design thinking workshop. So my view is they should partner with the friendly fintechs, the ones that are not competing with them, the people that are making tools and infrastructure and that make it open for anyone. Now, I'm not doing this as a self-serving message. It does happen, however, that what we do at NMI is we sell tools. We are a picks and shovels provider. We don't get involved in the financial transaction other than the software stack. And we sell to the fintechs, we sell to the incumbent banks, um, and we sell to the agents of the banks. And so I would say partnership is the key word that you should take away from this if you're in a bank. In my conversations with experts, they've often talked about how banks have been able to build these beautiful apps, great interface, user-friendly, but it kind of stops there. You know, and now consumers want speed, they want other services like faster currency uh, conversions, you know, between different countries and so on. So I guess that's maybe where banks can move to the next level if they partner with these fintechs. I think that's right, because you mentioned speed, right? So it's not just the speed of the transaction for the consumer. That is important. You know, T plus three in stock trading is terrible. In the United States, we have the ACH system. It's very antiquated. It's based on, it's called automated check clearing house. It has the word check in it. I mean, who wants to deal with paper checks today? And it takes multiple days, right? In Europe, we have much, much better systems, faster settlement. There's, you know, crypto rails that are coming out. Um, even though we're in a crypto winter, there's still good infrastructure that I think will emerge. Um, so I think that the banks need to go back to this concept. It's the old, age-old concept of buy-build partner. What do we buy off the shelf? What do we build ourselves in-house? And where do we partner? And I think in the advent of web services and configurable modular software, the partner is way easier now because you can make it look like it's your tech stack. You can consume it instantly. And so, yes, speed of transaction processing, but also speed of coming to market with newer innovations. And we've seen that, for example, in COVID, we had to you know, really rethink. And you know, here at NMI, we came out with things like 
you know, order online and pick up at the curb. We immediately came out with a QR code checkout um, process that literally was a URL that our system would generate and our customers could put it into Instagram or WhatsApp or whatever checkout flow. And we've all seen the QR codes, which eliminate the, the, the concept of a hardware point of sale device to tap your card. And many of those innovations um, were coming from third parties. Uh, but they all work with the bank rails. And so this concept of partnership, 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 that's what we need for the benefit of the consumers. That's what we're here for. We're trying to make a better consumer experience. How can fintech stay competitive against banks, you know, that have this established infrastructure and networks? I guess we're still yeah. talking partnerships. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question because I flip it, I flip it on its head and say, hey, if you're a fintech, you don't have to do everything. And in fact, the regulatory burden is very heavy and the banks are, are becoming increasingly open to the partnership. So it's two sides of the same coin. You flip it on its head. And I think one of the things we have to understand and really ground ourselves in, um, when we are in the fintech world, we are dealing with money. And when you deal with money in a democracy, governments rise and fall based on whether consumers are you know being ripped off they have due course they their money is protected we're seeing it you know in the uk right now um there there's an absolute uproar because of what the finance you know minister or the, uh, the chancellor of the exchequer as it's called in england um is done right fewer maybe the government will get thrown out so Keeping track of money and keeping money safe is really important, which means it will always be regulated. So I don't believe in some of my crypto friends who is, oh, we're going to blow this all up. We're going to unregulated, you know, blockchain based payment system and, you know, custody and assets. No, you will not have that. If you are in a Western country that has due process and a democracy and consumer protection, you will have to deal with a huge regulatory overhead. Why do you want to deal with that as a fintech? Maybe if you're big enough and you have scale, so you should also be thinking of partnering. Now, you want to partner with next generation API-based banks. You know, one of the ones that I like a lot is Cross River Bank. They are actually a more modern bank, um, but many of the existing banks also have API access. How, how do you build a successful bank fintech partnership? What, where are some areas where the two can come together? Yeah, so I think that's one that has to be built on the trust. So, you know, we started the conversation saying, you know, it, we didn't have a, we were, we were in a distinct swim lane world in FinTech 1.0. And so there wasn't much, you know, problem there. It was, you know, a, an innocuous point of sale at a, a coffee shop. Who cares? What does that have to do with the banks being threatened on the loan book? Phase two, now we're like, oops, maybe we are threatened by the loan book. Phase three, some of the larger fintechs are now banks themselves. They've, they've become registered to become bank holding companies. So um, I think what you want to do is kind of think of that curve and, and find, uh, if you are a fintech, you know, find a bank that isn't going to be threatened by you because you're not going to suddenly turn on them and compete with them because you have your swim lane, which is consumer experience, depending on, on where you are. Um, and on the flip side, the bank wants to make sure that you're not going to turn around and compete with them. So I think it's like very basic, you know, partnership 101, lay out your strategy. What's your three-year business plan? I think you have to go much deeper to just knocking on the door and saying, hey, I need some help. Um, you know, deep trust, long-term partnership. You have to be in this game for five to seven years. Um, fintechs are learning now in this current inflation economic downturn, harder to get venture funding, 
right? You can't just turn it on and hire thousands of people. This stuff will take time. And so nurturing that partnership with someone who's in it for the long run and lay both your business plans down. Um, don't be the poker player and hold your cards close. I think that's that's really critical. The other one is just compatibility on the technology philosophy of both sides. If you're working, if you're trying to do a partnership with a bank that works on, you know, COBOL mainframes from the 1980s and you are a modern fintech and they have no way to wrap that technology stack, it's not going to work. So you better find someone that at least shares what you want to do on the technology side. But the most important thing would be you kind of agree not to compete with each other. And you know, Nobody can say what the future is going to hold, but that's how you go into it. But are, are there areas that you see now that are that are more susceptible to partnerships like uh, account openings or automation of various services and so on? Um, is there anything specific you can point to? Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the areas that is is most open for partnership is around the use of data. And so you want to look for places where interoperability is important. And that's a ripe area for partnership. Now, what do I mean by interoperability? Um, if you are a bank um, and, and you want to keep all of your data and the perspective of your consumer in, in your walled garden, that worked 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It doesn't work now. You're going to have to be able to make sure that your data can be used in other places and you get access to other people's data. That is a natural place um, where partnership with a fintech makes sense. And I'll just call out, you know, a company like Plaid, right? Um, now, I know there's some talk in the press about, you know, is Plaid a threat to the banks? But what Plaid does as a, as a non-bank, at least today, um, is they share data amongst banks initially on behalf and the fintech said hey i need account opening you know and they make this little easy um kind of account opening page and where do you bank bank of america chase wells fargo you flip it they go and you know look at some data with consumer consent of course how much money do you make what's your paycheck what's your expense basically okay on that basis you're approved for a loan that's a natural place where um the bank would want to partner with the fintech and the fintech can add something that the bank cannot so I think that's one way of data sharing and account opening, but data sharing goes way beyond. And I think that one of the paradigms that is really important to keep in mind is, and I come from payment, so um, I have a payment lens. But in the payment world, we, we used to just focus on processing the payment, making sure that authorization, clearing, and settlement is occurring. That's all we cared about. Now we think of what happens before the payment. Uh, there's a propensity model. Maybe somebody saw an ad or a coupon. What's the attribution that goes back to why they bought the thing? And after the purchase, you have what's called the feedback loop. Did I have a good experience, bad experience? Am I a net promoter? Am I a net detractor? And you kind of close this loop. In order for that to happen, you need data sharing. And you need it across things that have nothing to do with the banking system. Advertising cookies, attribution, and then loyalty and rewards. However, the gold is the golden nuggets are in the payment. Did the person actually buy? And this is the issue that a Google would have. They know if you looked at the ad and you clicked, they have no idea if you actually transacted. Only people that know if you transacted are the banks or the people involved in the payment system. So think of data as a very ripe area uh, for partnership. So I think there's two um, events that have happened that will spur more partnerships. So the first one is, uh, I mentioned earlier, we, we're in a very different venture capital funding environment today than we were a year ago. It's very hard for 
somebody to have a great new fintech idea, get a massive amount of funding and be in loss making mode for multiple years. Now, those emboldened startups a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, thought they could do everything. Now they're retrenching. They're actually laying people off. Um, the new ones are not getting funded. So that's the first um, kind of mega trend that is going to force the CEOs of those startups. And I sit on a couple of these smaller startup boards and we're starting to think, hey, you know, we were going to build that. We should probably partner with a bank. So so I think that's, you know, one that um, that, that it, it, we'll start to see more and more of that. Um, the other big change is that I believe the banks have finally woken up uh, that the not invented here syndrome uh, is going away. They don't feel like they, they, there's an admission uh, that, that there's a, there's a realization that they have to work with third parties. And traditionally, banks, large banks, were just buying their software stack from the big guys, FIS, Fiserv, IBM, HP, Oracle. They are getting more and more comfortable with partnering with smaller companies. And they are realizing that that is actually uh, the, the, the only way that they can survive because the clock speed of technology is so fast. Hiring engineers and coming up with these great solutions is too hard internally. And they found that if they go to their large vendors that they traditionally have been buying banking services from for decades, those guys are as slow as they are. So those two trends, I believe, are going to spur a lot of partnerships in the next, let's say, three to five years. Last question here, just to wrap up. Are there any specific technologies or uh, new software updates that you are especially keeping your eye on right now in, in the banking slash fintech world? Yeah, um, clearly uh, anything in the crypto blockchain space is the place to be watching. Right. So there's a lot of hype um, in, in that area. And now, uh, you know, we're in a crypto winter and, and, you know, now we're starting to see, by the way, that would be a third trend uh, as to why I think there are going to be more partnerships because we've seen, you know, crypto exchanges being hacked. We've seen, you know, crypto lending platforms that um, had no way of actually paying those interest rates and now are insolvent and the regulators weren't even involved in these companies. So there, there's a lot of negativity and, and rain clouds around that space. But fundamentally, the idea of having a distributed, more federated infrastructure that is not owned by trusted third parties is a very powerful concept. And there is so much uh, brain power and you know intellectual throughput, as well as still venture funding that those guys have, that I think we're going to have more of a distributed, I mean, DeFi, decentralized finance has a bad name right now, but I think it will emerge just like we saw in the dot-com era where, you know, we had this huge run-up, dot-com's going to change everything, and then we had the crash. Oh, no, it's not. Well, the reality was it, it, it is, you know. Um, so I would definitely keep your eye in the world that I work in, payments, you know, what sort of, um, you know, central bank-backed digital currencies. It's a huge threat to MasterCard and Visa. That's why you see them embracing you know, they, they're now calling themselves network of networks um, and they have their own crypto divisions. But that is the space to watch. And I would not discount it just because of the current malaise in the industry. You've been listening to The Buzz, a bank automation news podcast. Please follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And as a reminder, you can rate this podcast on your platform of choice. Thank you for your time and be sure to visit us at bankautomationnews.com for more automation news.